Hello, and welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hey guys, buddy C. I'd like to welcome everyone today. We have Caitlin M., Rebecca C., iPhone somebody, uh, <laughs> Bill M., Lala M., right? Yeah, all these initials, Kirsty S., Paul H., Marla H., Craig M. Good to have all y'all today. Have a couple of people that are able to be here because it was the 4th of July. Happy Independence Day for all of our uh, U.S. folks, and I well, and our I guess for everybody. Uh, how do y'all feel about that, Craig and Kirsty and Caitlin? Is that an issue for y'all? Not particularly. No. No. Can, can somebody just explain what the Independence Day thing is? Because the only, the, really, the only thing I understand about Independence Day is when Will Smith flew up to that big spaceship, like, and he uploaded this <laughs> uploaded the same virus that I've got. He uploaded that to the mothership, and the mothership blew up. Yep, that's what happened. Yeah. That's it was. We um, signed the Declaration of Independence to be independent from England because we were under their under the King of England's charge. They were under the rule of King George. And yes. So they rebelled with, with France um, to basically kick England out because they were taxing them too much money. Mm-hmm. We wanted to be a democracy rather than a monarchy. We can see where they're coming from. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. So is this to do the Civil War? No, that was no. later. No. It had to do with slavery. That was the war between the states. and Actually. Everybody can tell you in the South, they don't like hearing it called the Civil War. They like it called the war between the states. And it becomes right. quite an issue. I, I don't mind the Civil War business, but... Uh, it, it, anyway, that's another. <laughs> and I've got a news flash for Craig. Uh, Abe Lincoln did not fight vampires either. So, <laughs> but you know, there, there's a lot of evidence that he was gay, though. Oh yeah, I heard about that. All right, there we won't go there. That. But anyway, that's this is not. Where does, where does Iron Man and Captain America come to? I'm sorry, Craig. Where does Iron Man and Captain America come into? Because they had a civil war. Was that part of it? Well. <laughs> you need to go back to school. Are you from this virus that you have, Craig? Are you <laughs> that I need to mute you permanently, or, or yes, because he's only going to get worse. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. We were talking about this right before the podcast that the uh, that that the, the signing of the Declaration of Independence was a sign of uh, real rebellion. I mean, it was an action taken by what 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 were we saying the ages of 21 the 21 to 39 were the guys were the ages of the guys that signed it it was incredible Ham- hamilton had to lie about his age to be able to fight in the war yeah yeah that's just incredible that's incredible we we lose some of that in history we don't learn a lot of that anymore so um Anyway, we're going to be talking today about the 48th chapter of the, of the Tao Te Ching. Um, let's start with a moment of silence. Let's get centered in the Tao and just try to listen from within a little and see what we can unlearn today. 
Okay. I really, I say this every week, but I really like this chapter. Um, got one of my favorite quotes in it, too. The quote about uh, knowledge, you learn something every day, and with wisdom, you unlearn something every day. This is really, uh, and it's really about, that has to do with Wu Wei, this, this uh, plan of non-action which is so counterintuitive to how we learn to live in the modern world because we're always taught that it's up to us and we've got to make it happen. This is saying that we need to learn to stop interfering and let it happen. Be the boss, be the passerby more than the instigator, all of those things. So it's really, really, this is good for me. Really good. We got some good, and we got some good commentaries too. So, I'm going to ask Kirsty to read for us, if she would. I'm going to share the screen. The link is in the chat for anyone who wants to pull up the link for the reading in there on their computer. Okay. Um, the first translation. In the pursuit of learning, every day something is acquired. In the pursuit of Tao. Every day, something is dropped. Less and less is done until non-action is achieved. When nothing is done, nothing is left undone. The world is ruled by letting things take their course. It cannot be ruled by interfering. Translation 2. In pursuit of knowledge, every day something is added. In the practice of the Tao, every day something is dropped. Less and less do you need to force things until finally you arrive at non-action. When nothing is done, nothing is left undone. True mastery can be gained by letting things go their own way. It can't be gained by interfering. Third translation. One who seeks knowledge learns something new every day. One who seeks the Tao unlearns something new every day. Less and less remains until you arrive at non-action. When you arrive at non-action, nothing will be left undone. Mastery of the world is achieved by letting things take their natural course. You cannot master the world by changing the natural way. Translation 4. Usually, we try to learn something new every day. But if we want to get right with Tao, we have to let go of something every day. We do less and less until we end up doing nothing. And it's when we do nothing that we get the job done. Let events take their course and everything will turn out in your favour. If you act on your ambitions, they will never pan out. Well, I know for this addict, um, as I've evolved, I've had to unlearn everything I thought I knew about myself and relearn everything about my true nature. What is my true nature? By, and I found my true nature by unlearning and undoing everything I thought I knew in order to get to my true nature. Maybe approaching those things with a beginner's mind. That's one way that it's explained. Uh, with a new pair of glasses. Yeah, looking at things differently. Looking, looking at them from a point of surrender, too, I think. 
you know, where it's not that I have it figured out, but I'm powerless in this, that kind of mentality. Mm-hmm. A power, it's, and, and we see those words in each of these of non-action or doing nothing. And we all, we just think of doing nothing <laughs> when it's really not doing nothing. It's, yeah. it's quite the opposite uh, it is without interfering, I think, more than doing nothing without the force. Uh, the second chapter, the second verse, really, or second translation, rather, um, less and less do you need to force things until finally you arrive at non-action. The non-action is non-forcing. It's not not doing. Our words are so inadequate to explain it. You know, right? It's not sitting on the couch eating bonbons. <laughs> Watching gallery runs. Yeah, it's not that. You know, <laughs> no, but it it is about creating that empty vessel so that you can re so that you can actually hear and listen to what's actually happening. The true nature of nature. I think that if we're so full of ourselves that we leave no room then there's no way that we can come about any, any, any solutions, any real solutions uh, until we leave space for our higher power to, to work in that or leave, leave room for it just to naturally happen, which is part of that whole process too. Mm-hmm. You know? Good. When I came, when I came into recovery, um, my, um, my personality, my sense of, who I was, was made up by this false jigsaw of um, bits and pieces that made up what I thought defined who I was, so it made up my ego. And I guess relating it to this, I've learned that actually I need to take that to pieces. And... So actually what I'm left with is nothing because I'm losing the things that aren't serving me as a bit, as a human being. So my ego, which is, you know, I said last week, you know, we're, we're kind of at one end of the scale, this massive, massively arrogant person who thinks they can do everything themselves and they do everything better than other people, you know, I need to lose that. I need to lose interfering. I need to lose judgment. I need to lose so many things in order to just let things be. I can still practically go about doing things, um, but I can do it without all of those traits that used to make me feel like I was worth something when actually when actually intrinsically I'm a human being so I am worth something um with or without any of those things um and um so for me yeah I'm unlearning to be that I was going to swear but I'm not going to swear um to be that um (laughs) that unkind um Haughty, haughty, haughty donkey that came in the rooms a couple of years ago. 
<laughs> I'm with you there. Just that unlearning. Our egos are so, you know, my my ego was such that, you know, I can't, I have to use because of this and this and this and this. And, um, you know, I have to do things this way and I have to be like this. You know, I have to be like everyone else. And, you know what, that just, that shit goes out the window, you know, when you just let it be, in the words of Paul McCartney, just let it be. In the pursuit of learning, something's acquired. So we can even think about this as the things that we acquire, too. You know, yeah. not just something, you know, knowledge-wise. You know, we this is talking about the things that we acquire every day rather than, you know, us minimizing life, too. Paul, Paul you have something? Yeah, I will admit, buddy, when I first read this chapter, I... I really had a hard time getting my head wrapped around it, and I still do kind of. Um, I was brought up with that Midwest Protestant work ethic, you know, and um, you always had to be working at something. And so this one, <laughs> do nothing, wow, that's, that really goes against the grain of what was ingrained in me. So I'm still having a hard time, but I, you helped explain it a little bit there, I think, uh, that it's not just, like you said, sitting on the couch watching Bonanza reruns or whatever. It's actually, <laughs> you know, it's actually being a little, I don't know, a little more introspective, I guess, which is kind of what this is all about. And it, and it kind of ties into the letting go concept too, I think. So maybe I'm starting to get it a little bit, but it's still going to take a little while for this all to sink in, I think. I agree with you, Paul. I'm I'm a worker. I'm a doer. My mom's Russian. She's like a, you know, that stoic effort, you know, you're not doing anything. You're not really working. Um, and I mean, this is a huge concept, you know, in the Buddhist um, tradition that I practice, this emptiness, this openness. And I understand the concept very well, you know, and I think what it is is now putting it into practice where you know when you start watching yourself when you are getting in your way when you know your own thoughts your own limitations your own confusion is keeping you from being an open vessel but again like you it's kind of ingrained in me not to be doing to be a human being not a human doing so Mm -hmm. it's practice like anything it, it takes practice yeah, and, you know, all of us women grew up, and, and you guys grew up with um, feminism. Feminism just kind of blossomed when I was in high school, and I was told I can do everything, and I have to do everything. You know, I have to have a career. I have to have a family, and if I don't, then I'm a loser, and that's kind of also part of a Midwestern ethic also because – we we can't do everything well we can we just can't do everything well you know some things have to go by the wayside but that type of um of of ethic was really kind of ingrained into us uh, women especially it's like you you have to do everything and it's also like the you know my parents aren't alcoholics but they're workaholics so and that's not frowned upon in our society as much as you know anything 
addiction. So it's like, oh, look, they're doing so much. They're doing so much. No, they're avoiding dealing with their life is what they're doing. They're, you know, keeping busy by keeping busy. So, Yeah, Lawrence, it's actually the other way around. A lot of people, the workaholic is looked at and admired by yeah, a lot of people. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's an admirable quality. Oh, I'm so busy. That's, you know. So much. Yeah, yeah that's a badge of honor, you know. I'm so busy. I have no time for anything. I'm so tired. And, and if you're not, it's suspect. What are you doing? I think this is talking about the amount of effort that you have to put into things. Or the amount, the amount of false effort that you put into things. The number of times that you think I'm really, really busy, and yet I don't get anything done. <laughs> That might just be you, Craig. No, no there, is, there, is, there is a part of the doubt that says, you know, a foolish man is always doing it, yet nothing gets done. Right, that's true. I mean, we're, we're obviously not prioritising on the things that we should be, we should be looking at. Um, I was in that space a couple of years ago where all I was doing was working. Um, and to be honest with you, the gains I was getting compared to what I'm doing now, you know, it just really wasn't worth it. Whereas now I turn up from my work, I do what I have to do. I know it's expected of me, and I just, I just don't do it. There's no... There's no resistance to what I'm having to do, and there's no there's no expectations other than me going and doing my job. And to be honest with you, my life seems so much simpler now. Uh-huh. Because it, it just is what it is. I just I just do what I have to do. Well, it's mm-hmm. often more of a balance now. I feel mm-hmm. like yeah. Yeah, yeah. you do your yeah. work, and then you put that on yourself on the shelf. It's not all consuming. Mm-hmm. I mean, a work life balance kind of thing. Well, I think plus I was in the mentality that if I worked hard, then I got to I got to play hard as well. So the harder I worked, the more I got to reward myself, and that was always a big excuse. To say, Look, I'm working exceptionally hard, so I get to sit and drink all this. Right. Like, I had you know, the same same mentality. Hey, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm so great. I did all this shit. Now I can drink all day. Yo, weekend yeah. warrior. Yeah, because I worked so hard all week. Yeah. yeah. So that's but that's our addict mentality. Yeah. I think. No, no, I think the priorities have changed because I'm not drinking, I'm focusing my attention on other things. I'm going, I'm doing my work, I've got my other, I've got my other business that I run, but I do that more for enjoyment. Um, but the rest of the time is just, just spent at the house doing, doing what I need to do here. And also I think it does take time to figure out how to fill that empty space that we were drinking with, you know, I mean, I know I was very... Um, what's the word, just uh, anxious, like, what do I do with all this time? I have so much time on my hands now. And to be, you know, uh, aware of not just filling it with things, you know, but by being empty, by being open and uh, not just filling that time so that you weren't drinking. It's funny how beforehand we never had anything for anything else. Right. (laughs) And the days days just used to fly in. Yeah. But didn't um, you t- didn't it take up a lot of time to plan? You got to plan your your drinking, or you got to plan your hangover. Like how yeah, often? Make sure you have enough time, and you know you have enough alcohol or drugs, whatever you need. Awesome. Yeah, there's so much planning involved that took up a lot of time. <laughs> run a small country with that kind of. <laughs> I think I. I used alcohol to actually allow myself to just be. So this is something I really struggle with is not doing something all the time. I don't know. I'm really struggling with how do I just be? And and I think in retrospect, alcohol was a way that I could just shut off. 
Um, It was not, it was shutting off in the wrong way. Um, So this is very interesting to me. It's food for thought for my day. And I think, sorry, just, I think filling it, I mean, I I had huge anxiety when I removed the alcohol. Mm -hmm. I think the main thing is finding things to replace it that are fulfilling and enjoyable rather than just doing, you know, it's like, I was constantly filling my calendar with, oh, I can be doing this, 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 this. And then, you know, slowly I found things that were like yoga or vegan cooking or, you know, other kind of community, you know, giving back type things that were fulfilling in a different way. Nothing replaces alcohol. That's the thing. It's like there's nothing that gives you that, you know, feeling. But um, other things that are rewarding in a different way. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I find using 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 the extra time that we have now. That's I know, I know Paul will relate to this as well. Just stick your shoes on, go for a walk. Yes. Just yeah. just spend just spend that time, not in your own head, but just spend that time just enjoying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think something else that ties into that, Craig, is like when I get stuck on a problem at work, or I, I'm thinking about other things too. I when I go for a walk, that's when the solution will come. Yes. Yeah, that's when you're not thinking about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. not for not forcing it like. Buddy says, you know, right. just let it come to you. Yeah. yeah. So I've, um, I'm taking up yoga next week, Marla. I'm, start, I'm, I'm starting a seasonal yoga class. Seas, seasonal? Seasonal. seasonal. Oh, seasonal. Okay. Yeah. Seasonal. So I asked what was involved in it. She says during the summer we do a hard, intense course, and during the winter we do like a, a really nice, gentle thing. Oh, so. pussy. <laughs> yoga is the first thing I found to really start replacing alcohol with. Me too. It was. It, it has it's just saved my life. It has a spiritual aspect to it. Right. Uh, I was thinking about while y'all were talking how this is the, if you really think about this chapter, It's getting you to start the idea of looking within for your solutions rather than outside, okay? And then when we were talking about this non-action, not working, not – because I was taught the same thing. You work harder and do better. If you want something to change, it's up to you. It's you that makes the difference. If you want your life to be different, you go out and do different things. You know, all of that corporate – you know, self-help that I went, I went through all that like a lot of us do. I uh, used to work at a place that had all the team building and all the, you know, blah, blah, blah. But what I noticed was the first thing we do, and I did it too, we, we equate this to work, to what we're doing with our, our effort toward making a living, our effort toward all of that, and I got to thinking, you know, maybe a good application of this is how I push in those things that are not work-related. Let's say in my relationships, my most valuable relationships, how I interfere and push those relationships instead of just letting them evolve and letting them go about naturally and the difference in that relationship when I let that happen, let it happen that way 
versus the push, push, push in the relationship. Nothing to do with, if I look at it, it's nothing to do with work or look in those, those relationships and see the difference that this attitude makes. Um, think about my kids and my daughter in college and how when I just let her find her way versus what I think she should do, <laughs> how much better that is for everyone. Yes. She eventually finds her way, you know. Yes. Her way. Well, no, I mean, you just, the perfect example between my mom and my dad, she's like, you got to do this, you got to do this. And I'll, I'm always going to do the opposite and fight it. And then when I find my way and, you know, my dad's much more, you know, just supportive, whatever you want to do. If I was bagging groceries, he would support me, you know, not that there's anything wrong with that, but, you know, it, it is always just like recovery when, when everybody in my family was pushing me, even though I wanted it, it was just so you know, stop trying to tell me what to do and how to do it your way. And they just let go and let me find my way. I've had much more long-lasting, much more, you know, positive recovery. So the pushing, the pushing, the push, it's like forcing someone to make you, you know, their girlfriend or boyfriend or something. It's like, mm. the more you push, it's going gonna, it's it's, it's gonna to push you away. Yep. It really does. True mastery is gained by letting things go their own way. It can't be gained by interfering. I have a, when I have a sponsee that I had one the other day, this reminded me of a guy. I would like for him to do things a particular way, but instead of me interfering, I've just let him find his own way. And he comes back to what I thought was the right thing for him, you know, but he came about it his way instead of my pushing and demanding and insisting. Yeah. Instead of buddy's way. Instead of buddy's way. I, think, I think there's a big difference between somebody telling you what you should be doing rather than somebody telling you what you could be doing. Yeah. 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 That's, that's, a, that's a massive difference. Um, if, I'm sat, if I'm sat down with buddy, he'll give me suggestions, which I know are really just like kind of, you know, you really should be having a look at this. But he puts it across in such a way that, you know, that makes your options. But if it was me, that's what I'd be doing. So I think it's always important to have the people there that will tell you what you could be doing, people that are going to encourage you, rather than the ones that are sitting and beating you up about it. Because um, if, you, if you look at Lala's example, the mum saying, you know, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. If you're not doing it, you're not living up to their expectations. Right. Um, and then that puts, that puts other barriers in place. Um, and I think that's where communication breaks down as well within relationships with the families. And she sees the results. She sees the results when she stood step back and let me find my own way mm-hmm. now she's very proud you know? mm-hmm. like yeah you know it's like I, I couldn't keep telling her to stop pushing me I just had to show her to some extent you have to show the results yeah and I think that if we take situations relationships just things in our life that we have some angst in you know those things that are causing us issue if we'll take a take a close look at that we'll probably see areas that we need to just surrender or let go or quit the interfering and let them just happen. You know, it's kind of like when, you know, if you, if you roll dice, you have to let those dice go and let them just land at some point. You can't grab them in the air and put them the way you, you have to just surrender, you know, and I'm sure there's other examples that are better, but, at some point, we just have to let that go. 
and just let it happen. That was just the word expectations. Yes. Um, the expectations that I have for myself, I had to let go of. Yeah. To find what was, what is really truth for me. My expectations were really society's expectations and other people's expectations of what I should be. Mm -hmm. That, you know, as part of recovery, I had to really let go of and still do. It's a practice, definitely, of expectations. And, you know, knowing that I'm an addict and can't use anymore um, and, and what comes with using is that, is that I, you know, I feel so shitty about myself. That's an ex, a, sort of an expectation that I can't, uh, you know, I lost my train of thought. It's menopause. Remember when we used to use without the, before things really, you know, hit the wall. <laughs> Remember we used to use without the guilt and without the shame and just like, oh, that was a fun yeah. night. It's right. like now we've already crossed the line or I've already crossed the line where even if I've, used and there aren't any negative results i'm going to be hit with guilt shame you know all these extra emotions that i didn't used to get when i used to use even if it doesn't go way overboard and even if it wasn't a bad time it's just it's there now and there's no going back so Mm -hmm. Uh, i kind of expect i'm going to feel like shit if i ever use again that's an expectation well you know why that is one (laughs) yeah i think that's because that whole idea of using or drinking or these things or the things we're acquiring, whatever, all that is looking outside of us for what's mm-hmm. inside. Right. So the whole time that we're looking outward, you know, the alcohol, the drugs is a substitute for this uh, spiritual awakening and this God that's within us that, yes. that can really fulfill all those things. Mm-hmm. So this is really getting us to turn that light around so that we can look within. So every time now that we look outside of us for what's within, now it doesn't feel good. Right. It's it's not what we're looking for, you know. So this is all a path to, I think, to us starting to look within to where the real answers and solutions are. for me it's it's because even even you know with the length of time in recovery that i had my external mask and facade was layers and layers of like imposed like conditioned behaviors um from my environment and also yes. expectations from other people, expectations from myself. And so the idea of getting to who I am is a process of unlearning all of those things and surrendering all of the expectations, either other people's or, um, or my own. And actually, also what they think um, – because, you know, I know there are certain people that don't approve of who I am now. Um, they certainly didn't like me when I was drinking, um, but they seemingly they don't like me when I'm me either. Um, God love my mum. And, uh, 
And so, and but what really, what really, what I find difficult, I kind of, I get that concept of, of becoming you and finding the true nature, the art of surrender. But this idea of inaction brings more fruition being being brings more abundance um the spiritual being gets exactly what they need um if you have a dream um if it's meant to be it will come true because i'm a i'm a doer i'm a doer and if i want something i'll do it i'll do anything to get it don't have to do anything destructive but i will make it happen and what i not really understanding the 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 process of is this idea of okay um if i put out to the universe that i desperately need a new fence um how how is the universe going to provide me with a new fence other than a tree falling down i don't i don't know i don't know um so that kind of that plays with my head a little bit certainly because i am only getting to grips with this spirituality thing as an agnostic and i don't i find it difficult first Buddy, go, go ahead yeah you were talking about um looking within and it, it occurs to me that i have always i grew up catholic um, and I always had this sense, even in the church, that God spoke through your intuition. And I've always had this sense that everything, that my truth, that truth is is here. Is it. And drinking, I think, for me was, I had so many people telling me, you should, should, should. Um, or your truth is not right. You should do something else other than what you know to be true for you. And drinking was a way for me to, to deal with that kind of cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're, yeah, wow. Okay, I'm having all sorts of realizations. <laughs> no, you're, that's, you hit spot on. Oh. People always telling us what we should do, what we should think. No, you're not supposed to think like that. You shouldn't think like that. Look at all this that you have because of that. And Yeah, that's what my parents kind of told me. You shouldn't be angry. Look at everything you have. You know, it's... Don't be sad. I used to get that one. Don't be sad. Don't be this. Well, even in recovery, because I've been in and out of um, this for like 10 years, more than that now. Um, And I had sponsors tell me I should be more spiritual. (laughs) Sorry, but how the fuck do you know how spiritual I am? (laughs) Do more meetings. Do more this. Do more that. Like, wait. But this is hard to do better. Right. That made me run for the hills, man. Me too. You know, having a sponsor telling me, well, just go, if I had a feeling, you know, a certain feeling I needed to deal with, well, just go to a meeting. No. No. I need to do. <laughs> I don't need to go out. I need to go within to deal. Yes. So, like, there is a place for those things, but I need to build time to be, to experience the things that I used alcohol to cover up. Yes. To get to, to get within me and to get cool with me, we need to have permission to feel again. You know, to to feel our feelings and they're authentic. You know, most of the time they're authentic because they're intuitive. 
Right. So, yeah, being just giving ourselves permission to feel again, you know. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I had a sponsor, the one I think I talked about her the other day, who I only had for three months. As a, a Jewish person, we don't get down on our knees when we pray. Oh, yes. So oh. <laughs> she made me get down on my knees and pray. And it, w- it was so uncomfortable for me um, it did, that what she wanted from me didn't happen because it was, it was so against nature, my nature. You know, I couldn't People tell me to get on my knees. I have, it's traumatizing because I was actually forced onto my knees to give oral sex to a boy when I was a teenager. Um, don't tell me to get on my knees. <laughs> that's something that, that's another thing that makes me run for the hills. Yeah, me too. Obviously, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so I relate. Thank you for sharing that because that makes me feel validated. <laughs> Yeah, you're validated. Every morning I hit my knees. I'm like, fuck, no. <laughs> yeah, no, we don't have to do that. Well, again, I think it's all finding what works for us. I mean, that's why it's like I pinch from everything. You know, there's stuff I take from AA and there's stuff I take from, you know, smart recovery or, you know, the power of Buddhism because it's like, or even Buddhists, like meditation. I, I can't, I tried for years. I cannot sit and meditate. I can walk and meditate. I can do yoga and meditate. I can do it for certain amounts of time in a collective community way, but I'm not going to sit at my home every morning and do it. I'll take a walk with my dog in nature, you know? So again, just, we have to think of them as suggestions. And I think that's why I was so hesitant with AA is just all the rules. The rules. I'm like, I, I'm such a rebel and rule breaker. I was like, this is, you know. But you know, Lolly, if you read it, it says that this book is meant to be suggestive exactly. only. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's the people. This yes. The people that make them rules. That right. The people who have not learned the 48th chapter of the Tao Te Ching because they come in and they want to force and push that. This is, that's a, an, a great example of what we're talking about. How in, in an effort to do the right thing, it's like the road to hell being paved with good intentions. <laughs> the intentions are good, but it's this push and force that interferes with what's best, you know? Paul, you have something? Uh, yeah, well, it's always people that screw things up, right? Yeah. <laughs> Why can't they just leave us alone, you know? <laughs> no, what I, did want to, yeah. no, what I did want to say, what I did have on my mind is um, one of the greatest gifts I found in recovery is that I now no longer feel the need to escape from myself or numb myself. And I think that's I think that's something that's really it took a while for me to get there, but um, that's something that I that I've realized, and I try to remember that. And uh, I'm I'm comfortable being myself, and I wasn't for almost thirty years. You know, I was yes. always looking for a way to escape and to get out, and now I don't feel that way anymore. And that's just that's just been a great gift. That is the greatest gift of recovery is really liking yourself, you know, or loving yourself. It is the greatest. It's, it's hard to come by, but, you know, if you work at it, 
you want it, it, it can happen. I believe that. Kirsty, I have a question for you. Okay. Yep. How, and this is, this is how I started this journey to non-interfering. Okay. I looked at how I got sober and I said to myself, okay, what did I do different that caused me to have the freedom from alcohol and how can I do that same thing in other areas of my life? That was what started me on this journey. So I looked, I said, okay, I finally surrendered the, the way I was powerless over alcohol. How can I be powerless over these other areas of my life? How can I stop the interference? How can I stop the, this um, action that is getting me nowhere, the spinning of my wheels, like I was spinning my wheels with alcohol and stopped it? I don't know if that makes sense. Um, it does. It does. Um, I think initially um, – what stopped me was fear yeah because i was i was i was scared that um i was going to lose everything um because i'd had a set of ultimatums um and then eventually it was an acceptance mm -hmm. it was an acceptance that i just couldn't do it anymore that's um, it yeah the, the, the Hawkins book on letting go really has helped me with this because what he says is that we have to get to this point of surrender that whatever it is that we're looking for, whatever we're trying to achieve, we have to get to the point to where it's okay if it happens, it's okay if it doesn't. That is the real point of surrender. So with these things that we're talking about or these achievements or or these relationships, whatever it is, whatever it is we're pushing that we think should happen. If we can get to the point of surrender with that, surrender to the universe, power, whatever name we put on this, God thing. It's okay if it happens. It's okay if it doesn't. When we can get to that point, I think that is when we leave room for the natural course of actions just to happen. Yeah. I think, I think a good example of that for me is because I've been listening to, oh God, at least a chapter a day of that, of that book. And, and one of the, one of the biggest fears that I've had in my life is, is fear of losing my husband, um, of him going off with another woman. Um, and actually I've come to believe that if it would make him happier I would rather he do that because if I really loved him, I would want him to be happy. And it was actually this morning that I thought to myself, I actually believe that that's true now. It's not me trapping him or anything. He's with me because he wants to, but if he wanted to be somewhere else because it would make him happier, then I would freely let him go. Um, and I actually felt a sense of peace when I realized that. That really is letting go. Yeah. Yeah. The more we try and force somebody like to stay with us or, you know, it's, it's, it'll eat you alive. You know, and it'll push them away if anything. Yeah. Absolutely. 
that resistance creates this pushback. You're right. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's it, Kirsty. That is that is what this is talking about. I think that is mm-hmm. that is exactly it. This idea that uh, our interfering, that our force is not helping us. It is working against us. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's so good. And you also said the magic word there, Kirsty, fear. Yes. Everything rooted in fear. Everything is rooted in fear, isn't it? It just really is. It comes down to that. It really does. And and if we can get to the point to where we surrender the fear that's behind our, our actions, then those things just go away. And it just kind of just takes care of itself. And that's when we start leaving room for this to unfold. And I don't know how it happens either, Kirsty. I really don't. But I know that if I can get to that point that you're talking about, that it just kind of just happens. It just mm-hmm. happens. Mm-hmm. That's good. Altruism. Caitlin, what do you think about all this? I'm just trying to take it all in. I mean, what we're, what we're talking about just now is just shedding some insight on kind of experiences that I've had where I have probably relationships for example I've more pushed to try and make it work and then I think in the long run that's then caused the relationship to break down um I mean at the end of the day if something's going to work it's going to work if it's not then it's not um so yeah it's interesting it's shedding some light on it for me you know know, and if I never know what the right thing is to do I I try to think you know like if I, I say what do I do what do I do First thing I ask myself is, how can I love this person? What can I do for this person rather than how can I make them into what I want them to be or what I think would be best for them, Mm -hmm. which is normally not what's best for them. It's It's so funny, too, how I forget so quick. How, you know, I, I judge myself by my intentions and others by their actions. You know, I never judge myself by my actions. I forget so quick when my actions are wrong. <laughs> but uh, I, I can't judge others by their intentions. I only judge them by what I, what I see them do. So I, I've got to learn to, to just love people where they're at, love mm-hmm. me where I'm at. Oh, this is so good. Yeah, that's a, it's a good lesson to learn if you can do it. Yeah. But that's exactly what this is talking about, I think. It is. Is learning to surrender these things. Learning how not to interfere. Yeah. Keep my fingers out. <laughs> that's good. I want to read a couple of quick things. We don't have much time. We're going to be closing shortly, but I want to finish up this chapter. There's a couple of ideas I wanted to get. Um Mitchell says, the guy that did the second translation, every day something is dropped, is dropped gratefully. It's gratitude that we're grateful that we're able to do that. Not that it's a chore to drop, not that, oh, my God, I can't escape with alcohol and drugs anymore. I don't get to do that anymore. Change that from I don't get to to I don't have to. Right. You know, and, and interject that gratitude in there. Um, then he says that true mastery can be gained in the last stanza there. 
what he says is actually it can't be gained. True mastery cannot be gained. True mastery is letting things take their course. Ah. Yeah. So it's really about the surrender. Derek Lynn, the one thing I want to mention out of Derek Lynn is, and I, I did not realize this, where he talks about, he talks about until one reaches uh, unattached action or wu-wei is what that is really. When mm-hmm. it's non-action, he says that uh, this is the state that we act without attachments to specific outcomes. I cannot use these characters directly in the translation, wu-wei, because unlike the word Tao, they are not yet a formally recognized part of the English language. There is no English words for wu-wei. Hmm. No English words for unattached action or non-action. So that's why it's so difficult for us to grasp it, this idea of uh, of wu-wei, because there are no words in the English language to explain them. <laughs> Wow. That's good. Anything, Marla, from Wayne Dyer that we need to hit really fast? Oh. I think we, we've pretty much covered what he was talking about. Yeah, pretty much. I highlighted a few things. Just, uh, you know, just like uh, everything that you add to your life brings with it an element of imprisonment. Yeah. And, you know. True mastery can only be gained by freeing yourself of attachments to things and, in fact, downsizing what you already have. Those were the great tidbits of this particular chapter, downsizing. You know, I think that's the reason why uh, this idea of minimalism is so attractive to people is because a lot of people understand that this thing they're looking for is not in the things that they're looking for it in, but they don't know where it is, but they know it's not there. The tiny houses. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's the same reason people enjoy Christmas is because they like to give, but they don't know why they enjoy that spirit of giving. <laughs> because it's the one time. What, Lala? It makes them feel good. Yes, exactly. it's because they, they enjoy this selfless giving, but they don't know why they enjoy it. It's you know, it's because it's the one time that they do something for someone with no hooks. Many times, you know, no, they're not hooking them to to do something back. Right. So the only time of the year they do something that's selfless, maybe. <laughs> so they get this feeling. The only time of the year. <laughs> yeah. Think it really it. depends who they are. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it depends who they are. Think about it, you know. So it's the same thing with this, you know, this minimalist attitude, this this idea of, of letting go of things. Uh, they don't know why, but it's making them feel better. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I know I purposely left my status, my career and everything in L.A. and New York to come home and kind of go inward and focus on recovery. And I'm not saying it's easy, but if you shed all those labels, all the people I know, all the networks I've had, all the businesses I've run, you really are kind of forced to get down to the root of, you don't have all these distractions. Mm -hmm. Not that it makes you feel good. It's, you know, 
learning that this is this is the answer rather than keeping busy with life and never and never slowing down enough to to start that introspection that leads us to where we want to be right so all we're, we're looking for is awareness is the awareness <laughs> of all of this stuff you know when it comes down to it what is really brings forth gratitude for me as family and friends and i think that's a deathbed confession as well for people. They, they don't say, oh, I'm so glad I got that Mercedes 300 SL. It's like, oh, I'm so grateful for my family. Wish I had spent more time with them. Yeah. That's what I've understood from deathbed confessions is mm-hmm. family and friends. Relationship. She dies with the most toys, dies. Can't take it with you. That's it. That was, uh, there's a, um, I was reading the Nag Hammadi and there's a, Philip asked Jesus, he says, how do I have peace in my life? And he told him to abandon the things that do not follow. Abandon the works that do not follow you into eternal life. You know, mm-hmm. abandon the things, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, have emphasis on the things that do follow, which are the things you were talking about, Marla. It's the, the, the people that we influence and the, the love that we share with others. Mm-hmm. That's the things uh, that that's where Fulfillment. how I can give rather than how I can get. Yeah, yeah. and even if you, and even if you don't believe in the eternal life, you can think of it more as a legacy. You're leaving a legacy of love and and purpose, and hopefully that will then go go down through the generations, even when you're gone. Absolutely. Exactly, and it's. Those are the things that bring us the peace and joy that we're looking for, Kirsty. So why not do them? No matter what it is that happens when we die, even even if we're just taking a dirt nap and there's nothing after life, you know, a dirt nap. <laughs> you know, who? I mean, we we have no control over those things. So why don't we do the things now that really bring us peace and joy, which yeah. is adding to others' lives rather than taking away from them. Right, bringing joy. Not yes. trying to get it. <laughs> yes. It's a fruit of loving people. It just comes to us. The peace and joy comes as a fruit of us doing the right things, us us giving love instead of taking it and demanding it from others. And all of a sudden we feel happy. Why do I feel happy? It's because I'm doing something for someone and not demanding they do for me. That's where it's at. Good stuff. I want everyone to have a very happy and grateful 4th of July, whether they're in the U.S. or whether they're abroad. So I have a, I have a grateful story to share with you guys on the way out. Uh, I've talked about Zach B. before. He's a sponsee of mine that works for Orphan Aid in Africa. He was taking a break with his family on vacation in Vienna, meeting his wife's family. And his son got sick from a birth defect that they didn't know that he had. And he had to have emergency surgery. Had nothing to do with them being in Liberia for six months or any of that. But he happened to be at the place to where his child could get emergency surgery. And I, I would butcher the name of what it was they had. But it was uh, he, he had to have his appendix removed and 
it was something that 2% of children have, and I'm sorry I don't have it pulled up to give you details. I would butcher it anyway. But the point is that they were where they could get the help they needed, and they wouldn't have had it where they were. And it was just God doing for them in the moment that they needed it. What is that, Marla? I can't read it. Uh, it says, sorry, Craig just asked me that. Some people just need a pat on the back. Yeah. And it's somebody pushing somebody off a cliff. <laughs> you know, and it goes back to us just having to trust and believe that we're where we're supposed to be at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know? And and I was just so grateful this morning when I when I read their post about uh, the fact their child was able to get the surgery that they would have uh, he could have died from this. He could have, yeah. And he didn't because he his his mom ran out with him in the street, ran outside of where they were, and the first person he saw she saw, uh, if I understood the story correctly, was a doctor and then a nurse practitioner that led them to where they needed to be to get all of the, the help they needed. And it was just God doing for them in the moment, you know, know. he's made you grateful, you know, and if we, if we ever have a difficult time seeing if we're not where we're supposed to be, we can go back to that gratitude, Paul, that you talk about, you know, and we can, we can find it there because we are right where we're supposed to be. And if you realize it or not, you know, Yeah. if you, my my philosophy is if you live in gratitude, you won't have any regrets either. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Any closing comments, or are we all good? Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars. Hope you put some of these resources to use, and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.